Amen. Great worship this morning. Let's take our Bibles. We want to turn to Matthew chapter 13 is where we're in our studies in the book of Matthew and um, the hidden value of Christ. We're in a series of messages on unsolved mysteries. So what's the mystery today? Well, here's the question. Why in the world would anyone turn their back or harden their heart as the parable before this talks about when they know that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for them, rose again on the third day, sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, why, why would anyone just say no to that? Why do we have sometimes, not, not this group, but high school graduates all over the country, about uh, 90% of them or so, 94% actually, dropping out of church after they leave high school and go off to college? Why is it that we have this new phenomenon in uh, America today when all the children are out of the house and many of the parents just stop coming to church. Well, it's kind of a mystery, isn't it? I mean, everybody like, we're gonna talk about buried treasure today. Everybody likes the idea of buried treasure and a little bit of a mystery. But here's the flip side of it. Why would anyone give away their life or heart or surrender themselves to someone else, even if it's God? I mean, you only got to have one life to live, right? You have one life to live, and you have ambitions, and you have plans as, as graduates, and you have plans as, as parents, single people here, married people. You all have plans. And why in the world should you chance that God would not want your same ambitions? Why in the world would a sane person give their heart away to Christ? I mean, after all, Religion is all about trying to appease God, or even sometimes pleasing God, by the way. Not just appeasing, some religion pleasing God, doing whatever they can for God without having to take their hands off their own life. And so there's the mystery, there's the question, and Jesus Christ gives us the answer in these parables. And so as we read these stories, these two stories, very quickly, three verses, I just want you to know that a parable is an illustrative story, illustrative story to really primarily bring out one point. It's not a lot of points, one point. And we're going to bring out the point here because the answer has to do with the value we place on life versus the value we place on Jesus Christ. So let's look at it. Three things this morning. Uh, number one, what are you looking for? Number two, how do you receive it? And number three, why should you want it? I mean, that's the why. Why in the world should you want what Jesus Christ has if it's going to cost you to take your hands off your own life? Well, let's look at it. Verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and offered up, or covered up, and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Another parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. If you're not careful, we can misunderstand these verses this morning, and so I want to explain them to you. First of all, what are you looking for? Here we find, not to confuse you, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, uh, referred to in the Bible, the same thing. Now, you'll, you'll find some Bibles or some trans, you know, people trying to say they're two different things and trying to drive a, a microscopic thing between the two. No, same thing. 
In the Jewish mind, you, you want to avoid uh, saying God as much as you can because it was kind of considered uh, an um, unsearchable territory, kind of almost blasphemous to mention the name of God. And so they just simply said the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, it has more to do, a kingdom has a king, right? So it has more to do with God's reign than it does a place. Now, this reign of Christ, this kingdom of God, has to do, first of all, with our own salvation experience. The time we invite Jesus into our heart, we're born again, the Holy Spirit of God comes into our heart, but it's even after that. What happens after that as you grow in Christ is, is God still your king? And then it's consummated at the second coming of Christ and finally it's continued in the new heavens and new earth explained in the Bible. And so really we're talking about the reign of Christ in our life, in our personal lives. As we look at this, both parables, uh, they have some commonality and they have some differences as well. Uh, one of the differences you'll find is that the, the fellow that found the treasure in the field wasn't looking for it. It was just, he had just happened on it by accident, really. The guy with the pearls, however, was a pearl merchant. And so he was looking for this special pearl, or maybe a lot of special pearls. But he found one that was more valuable than anything else he owned. But the thing I want you to notice they have in common is that they're hidden. Things are hidden. Treasure in the field, whether you're looking at the movie Treasure Island or Pirates of the Caribbean, hunting for buried treasure, you have to search for it. You know, the, the movies, uh, 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 the national treasure, they had to search all these clues and it's very intriguing. But he found it by accident. Maybe he was plowing the field. Maybe he was looking for something. Maybe, I don't know, digging a grave. I don't know, but he found something. Now, I don't want you to get confused with this story. It says that uh, he found it, a man, uh, he, he didn't own it. He covered it up. He said, well, that didn't sound right. That, you know, don't get caught up on the detail here, all right? This is a parable that teaches one thing, and the detail is just to help you understand the one thing. I mean, I could tell stories too. I could tell you a story. I mean, here, here's a car chase happening right through Oviedo here, you know, and cars, a car just flying down the road. He just robbed a bank, and he's going down the road, and police are chasing him from all over, and you've seen the movies where they turn, the police cars turn over, and, and finally he heads down Lake Jessup, and he gets to Black Hammock. He's headed down Black Hammock. One policeman is left, our hero of the story, that's chasing him, and, and the man comes to a dead end, and he, you know how they do in the movie, you know, turn around, you know, you know, hit the brakes and turn it around, and he's facing the policeman head on. Well, he revs up his engine, and the policeman revs up his engine, and the man rolls down his window. Policeman rolls down his window. The man flips his cigarette butt out the window. He said, now wait a minute. He was littering on that. I mean, was that a biodegradable uh, cigarette butt? Was it free range, <laughs> you know, whatever? And so somebody said, well, I never mind about that. I mean, are you advocating smoking, pastor? No, I'm not advocating smoking one way. I'm not talking about smoking one way or the other. No, you were talking about smoking. All right, just forget about it then. Don't worry about the cigarette butt. No, you've already talked about the cigarette butt. Let's talk about that. You see, you're getting caught up in the detail. And just because you kept interrupting my story, I'm not going to finish that story. <laughs> but, you just get, but if you get caught up in the detail, just know this, that today, yeah, we don't find many buried treasures around here in America, but back then they did. Because what the Jewish people had to do, well, since they didn't have banks, is hide their money and their valuables in their house. Now when the marauders came through or a war broke out, and there was a lot of wars, 
a war would break out, what would you do? Well, if you, if you stayed there with all the stuff in your house, well, what happened, they'd just come along and steal it. So you'd bury it. And a lot of times, the people would come through, the, the armies would come through and, and really destroy not only your home, but kill you. And so there's a lot of buried treasure around. Now, this particular guy didn't own the piece of property, but you got to understand the Jewish law said, because there's so much treasure around, and you never know where it is, finders keepers. That's what they believed in. The Roman law wasn't so clear. And so, instead of just stealing the money, just taking it out, burying it a little bit, and then taking off with it, he just thought, well, it's right to buy the field. And so, just, just to comfort you a little bit. But that's not the moral to the story. The moral to the story is this. The hidden treasure is something that's so valuable, so valuable, that you're willing to sell everything that you have to get it. The pearl of great price, the pearl of this great value, it is so valuable that you're willing to do anything to get that. But it's hidden. It's hidden from the common man. Listen to what uh, 1 Corinthians says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, we've said this before. Only God can reveal himself to you. You say, well, you know, I'm not really interested in the Bible that much. Well, this, this is God's word to you. This is the way God has chosen to reveal himself to you, to tell you about him. No, I want this mystical experience outside the Bible. And God says, no, no, I have not chosen to do that. I've chosen to reveal myself, and anything that's hidden, we cannot find that out unless God is willing to tell us about that. And so they're not, by the natural man, that means the, unspe- the, the ones that have never received Christ into their heart. And so what is it talking about here? Christ is talking really about the kingdom of heaven or himself. Because the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, is the kingdom is wrapped up in the king. And the king is Jesus Christ. Christ himself is this treasure or the, the pearl of great price. And once you see it, once you see it, well, you, you just can't get over it. You just give up everything else. And so how do you get it? Because I don't want you to misunderstand that. I know the value of it is what we're going to be talking about here in just a few minutes, the most important part of the message this morning. But I don't want you to misunderstand what it's saying here. He says, he went out uh, to the field and with all joy, he sold everything they had and he bought the field. And in verse 46, this pearl of great value went out and sold all that he had and he bought it. It's not talking about buying salvation. Salvation is free. It's not free to God. Jesus had to die on the cross for it, rise again on the third day, ascend up into heaven. All that was going on, but it's free to us. It's free grace. But here's, here, here's what it takes. It's, it's not really a buying it's a surrender. For example, unfortunately, there's a great famous toy store, store that has closed down. Somebody tell me what it is. Toys R Us. Man, what a heartbreaking thing. I used to take my kids there, my grandkids there. And I tell you, I took my grandkids there last year, and when they came into town, and um, they were grabbing everything in sight. You know? I said, well, you can get one thing. Well, I want this. Oh, no, I want this. No, no, I want this. We, we have one grandson that just goes through the store, just pick, looking at everything, and everybody else is just grabbing everything they can get, you know? What if, we've never done this, but what if we said, look, you can have anything in the store. Oh, there's some Pokemon cards. 
I'll take that. Well, what about this? Oh, I'd much rather have this Hot Wheel. Can I get both? They always say that. Can I get two? <laughs> two or three? But maybe you guide them finally to the back of the store and say, look, here's, they don't know this, but five, four or $500 car with a motor in it. Don't, didn't you always want one of those? Didn't you always want one of those? My kids always wanted one of those. We never bought them one. But we did buy our grandchild one. <laughs> That's a good story. Another story altogether. But, but suppose you say, you can only have one thing. Do you want the Pokemon cards? Do you want the Hot Wheel? Or do you want this sports car that runs about 10 miles an hour on the open road? Well, I guarantee you they're going to take the car. It's a matter of surrendering what you have to get something much, much greater. And he says, for joy. It wasn't a have to. Oh my goodness, when he saw the treasure in the field, he just thought to himself, I'm a poor guy, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell everything I have. And the, and the rich man with a pearl merchant was rich. And he sold everything, every pearl that he owned in order to gain this one pearl. Once you see it, Nothing else matters. But something else does matter, doesn't it? To some people, maybe they, for example, they have an image thing they wanna, they wanna keep up. They wanna be popular, they wanna be cool. And so they won't do some of the things that God will want them to do because they wanna be cool. Well, the coolness themselves, the image is kinda on the throne, not Jesus. Sexuality, somebody says, well, I'm not willing to liquidate that. Well, that's what's on the throne. Scholarship, you know, we, we have graduates here, maybe we have some people that are uh, professors at major universities, maybe the one here. And you think, wow, you know, if I were to go in to, to our coffee place called a little coffee shop uh, at, down at the school and say the Bible was an errant word of God and I believe in the story of Jonah and Jesus rose from the dead, I'd be laughed out of the room. Well, I'm not gonna say that. Well, then that's on the throne. Their, their acceptance of you being a scholar is on the throne rather than Jesus. And then we find that that's what we need to do with joy. And when the apostle Paul struck blind on the road to Damascus, then he received his sight back and received Christ. Here's what he said. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For the sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, some, somebody's king in your, something's king in your life. I'm not talking about creating a new king here. I'm not talking about taking yourself even off the throne of your own life and putting Jesus up on the throne. That's not what it's talking about because you've got something else up there. Everybody's got something on the throne. And it has to do with you, but it may not be you. But some, everybody worships something. Everybody's putting something first place. Something in your life is ruling your life. And Jesus said, no, the wrong king's on the throne. Anybody ever seen the Lion King? The cartoon version, you know, the good one. Cartoon version. And the Lion King, Mufasa. Anybody remember him? Mufasa. Ooh. You know, it's the hyenas, you know. Um, anyway, Mufasa gets killed. Simba, the little pup, supposed to become king one day, but Scar takes over. You know what happens to the jungle? It goes to pot. It goes, it's, it's terrible. There's no food anywhere. Everything's bad. 
But then Simba takes over the end of the movie as a grown lion, and everything's good again. Here, here's the thing. Moral to the story is, when the right king's on the throne, everything's great. When the wrong king's on the throne, everything's bad. And you got the wrong thing on the throne, you're going to be somewhere along the line, you're going to get in trouble. Somewhere along the line, it's going to be incomplete. Somewhere along the line, it's just not going to be good. You say, well, that's all fine and good, Pastor, but you haven't shown me any the real value of why in the world any sane person would still surrender their life to God, even God. I mean, God, does God really expect us to do something as, as crazy as that? Well, let's look then lastly at why you should want it. The pearl mer merchant, as I said, had a lot of money. He gave it all up. They saw the value in what they found. They saw the hidden, he saw the hidden treasure as being something valuable. He recognized it. The pearl, the merchant, who's an expert in pearls, saw the pearl and said, this is worth more than my entire fortune. Cleopatra once had a pearl. It was said that it was worth so much money that today it would be worth $4 billion in today's money. Nothing was, is, no pearl's worth that today, but pearls were valuable in that day. And so we look and we, un, we understand our problem. The problem, the reason we just can't see putting Jesus on the throne of our life, taking our hands of our own life and thinking, oh, that's the good thing to do. Why not? Because we don't see the value of Christ. And if we see the value of Christ, we don't believe what we see. We either don't have the knowledge or don't have the faith because it, it takes faith to take your hands off your own life and trust Christ. And so what is the value of Christ? Because all of our hearts are placed on something. What about this? He's all, he's all loving. In fact, it's impossible for you to love yourself as much as God loves you. He's all powerful. There's nothing God cannot do. God is so powerful, he can do anything and everything within his perfections. Not only that, but he's, all, he's full of grace and truth. You can walk out of this door forgiven of everything that you've ever done and not feel the weight of guilt. You want to know value. He's with us all the time. Therefore, he gives us that peace and joy because the joy is in his presence. In fact... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. What, what price tag can you put on those eight things? And all of it's available to us. And you say, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can really count on that. I mean, people change. Maybe God changes. And, you know, he, he doesn't always maybe keep his promises. And those, those promises just to the Jews or just to the first century Christian, what about me? I want to share something with you. I could share a lot of attributes of God. In fact, I just shared a couple of them with you, but the most important thing I could share with our graduating class and with you as parents and you as a church is that this, God is faithful. God is. He said this, Paul said this about God. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. In other words, it's saying here, look, if God could change his mind and not be faithful, if he would not, and faithfulness is simply some, somebody you can count on, he's going to deliver. If you can't count on God, he would cease to be God. He would have to deny his own self. Listen to what Lamentation says, because in the Old Testament, this is three, two or three great verses here. 
The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The hymn that we just sang is based upon these verses. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. You say, well, pastor, you just don't realize you know, my parents have been through a divorce and I've lost this aunt and I prayed for this person and they, they didn't get well and I've had all kinds of things happen to me and I'm not a prophet like Jeremiah who wrote that verse. I mean, Jeremiah, I may not know anything much of the past, none hardly of the future or the present and absolutely nothing in the future, but Jeremiah sort of knew some stuff. I just read to you Lamentations 3:22 through 24. Let me share with you a few verses at the front of that chapter as he struggled through getting to the faithfulness of God. Jeremiah said this, I am the man who has been affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. You ever felt that way? He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away and broken my bones. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. You feel, have you ever felt trapped? Jeremiah did. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. Have you ever felt that way even as a believer? God, you're not hearing me. You may be faithful to someone else, but you, you re- are you really faithful to me? I read a story this past week about a pastor in Kansas City who's not only left the ministry, he's left the faith. Heartbreaking story, really, and there's a lot more to it in the background and how he was living his life and had something to do with his conclusions. But he said he wrote an article, I'm leaving the ministry, I'm leaving the faith, I'm leaving the church. It doesn't work. All the strategy and the process does, just doesn't work. I've never had an answer to prayer. I've never seen a miracle. I've never seen people's lives being changed. And of course, you can see where he's coming from when he keeps talking about a strategy and a system because Christianity is not a system. It's a relationship. He was trying to be one of those guys. How can I please God without taking my hands off my own life? But nevertheless, he was heartbroken. And I was thinking about that and I was riding down the road and this song, Do It Again, that we just sang a few moments ago came on my playlist. It's one of my favorites, but I never really paid attention enough to the words. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. And I can't speak for you but I can speak for me. It just suddenly dawned on me with all the things I was praying about, with all the burdens that, you know, I I have family too and I have friends and plus your burdens as well. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm as burdened as you. We had somebody this past week lost one, their their child. She was in her 30s. Gone. We have two of our deacons here and their families have had, they've had grandbabies born in the hospital, had to stay in the hospital, complications. One is not out of the woods, even as yet. Death in the family, you've, you've gone through, your parents have gone through some, some terrible things. I'm not saying that, I'm saying that we all struggle. And Jeremiah 
the prophet of God was struggling until he came to his only conclusion. And I'm in the car and I'm thinking, God, you know, you haven't failed me yet. I mean, you've never failed me. Now, you've made me wait forever sometime. I feel like I spent my whole life waiting, but you've never failed me. You say, well, pastor, you mean to tell me that everything always works out just the way you want it to? No, it, it doesn't. Sometimes I go through trials. We'll talk about that next week. I mean, we got to deal with John the Baptist. He did everything God wanted him to do. He lost his head. We'll deal with that next week. There are trials in life that God is just trying to make us better, like, like the HGTV series, you know, with all the rebuilding of the houses. He's rebuilding us. There's other times when Jesus is not on my throne. I'm not in the path of blessing as I like to call it, that path in which you're walking in the will of God and there's all kinds of gifts and answers to prayer waiting for you. Hey, I've been, my attitude, my motives and everything else has been been off at, at times and I've missed opportunities. But when Jesus Christ has been on the throne of my life, he's never let me down. And for him to do that would be like, as the Bible says, denying himself. Listen to Hebrews chapter six. It says, in the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs a promise, the unchangeableness. You think to yourself, you know, God, God may change at any time. I don't know if he's gonna change his mind. You know, my dad, my mom, they all change their mind. God never changes his mind. Be terrible if he did because then he wouldn't necessarily keep his promises. He says, interpose with an oath so that two unchangeable things, which is impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that's set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, one which enters within the veil. My goodness, I got it until that last part. What's he talking about? Well, an anchor, you know what? You've seen anchors before. If you've, if you've never used one, you've seen them in the movies. Part of the anchor is tied on to a, a very uh, stout something on your boat or ship. That's one end. The other end is thrown into the ocean or the lake or sea, and it digs into the bottom of the ocean or catches on a rock or catches on something and the boat won't move even during a storm. It just doesn't move around much. We're like in that water and we're, we're tossed to and fro by the trials and adversities of life and the different, th- different things that happen in our life. But that anchor, Jesus acts as the anchor of our soul. And here, the Old Testament imagery is given because it's talking to an Old Testament audience. Now here's what it's saying. Please catch this. It's saying this. We are the boat and the chain It's tied, part of that anchor, one end of that anchor is tied around us. Where's the other end of the anchor? Well, it's not not at the bottom of the ocean. What he's saying is here, there's again an Old Testament imagery of the temple and the tabernacle. And the outside of the tabernacle was the outer court. That's where the Gentiles, people like you and I could come. The inside was where only Jews could go and sacrifice. Then the holy of holies, only the priests could go there. And finally, there was the holy of holies, not holy place in the holy of holies, and that's only where God would be. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The mercy seat was there. It was the presence of God in Israel. 
And the imagery here in this passage is that other side of the anchor is wrapped around under the veil onto the ark of God and we're anchored in him himself that you and I have our hope and have our security. Unchangeableness of God. Who's on the throne? That makes the difference to me. I believe that makes the difference is what God is saying to everyone. The Bible says that God is faithful. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. What, what is God going to do for you? He's going he's to guide you to all truth. Not only that, but he's going to secure your soul, rescue you from temptation that would ruin your life. He's going to answer your prayers, build up your life. And one day when you, you and I die, and we're no longer here on this earth and a funeral procession comes down in a church like this and your casket is right here with your old body sitting in it, you're gonna know that you're in heaven because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you and where I go, I, I, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a mansion, and I'm gonna come again and receive you into myself. Because of that promise, we know that we'll be in heaven because we've trusted Christ as our Savior and Lord. That's what Jesus can do for you. That's what Jesus can do for you. I'm in a toy store and I can have all the trinkets or I can have the grand prize. What value do we place on Christ? And how much do we believe that that value is true? Do you really believe, here's what it comes down to, can you trust him? Can you trust him? I'll close with this little illustration story. I've told it five or six times, but hey, what can you expect? I've been here 26 years, you know? So you're gonna hear something again. Um, Story of a beggar on the side of the road in a marketplace, and he had a bowl of rice, and someone would come by and he said, would you give something to the beggar? And people would come by and occasionally drop a coin in, and he would... He, he would go like, just nervously, just um, fingering the rice bowl over and over again. One day, a prince rode up in a chariot. Everybody kind of paused, looked around. The prince gets out of the chariot and walks right toward the beggar. And he thought, man, I've hit the jackpot. And he reaches up and says, sir, kind sir, would you give something to the beggar? And the prince looks down and says, uh, Sir, would you give me some of your rice? And the man was shocked. Me give you something? And he makes a snide, condescending remarks, and everybody starts laughing. Everybody's, everybody's watching. Everybody's laughing. And he said, kind sir, would you, would you give me some of your rice? And he took out one little speck of rice and placed it mockingly into the palm of his hand. He asked a second time. He says, sir, would you give me some of your rice? Again, cursing under his breath, he took one little kernel of rice and placed it in the palm of his hand as everybody was laughing. Persistent. The prince asked him one more time, sir, would you give me some of your rice, please? And he took out one little kernel of rice, again, one little grain, placed it in his hand. And the prince 
took it in his hand, got back into the chariot, and began to ride off. And the man was laughing and mocking him, fingering his rice bowl until he found something hard in the rice bowl. And he pulled it out as a piece of gold. And excitingly, he fingered around again. He found another piece. And another, and another came for a third one. He fingered around again and just kept looking. No more gold. One piece of gold for every piece of rice. And the man looked up as the prince was riding away out of shouting distance. He said, oh, prince, if I'd only known, I would have given you all of my rice. One day, get to heaven. He said, God, if I'd have only known, if I'd only known, I would have given you all of my life. All of it. A kingdom always requires a king. We're serving some kind of kingdom. Would you serve the king today? Verse 51, Jesus asked this question. I'll ask you. Verse 51. Have you understood all these things? This word understand, have you seen it? Have you seen all these things? Have you seen it? Why should a person give his heart, take his hand off his own life and give his heart and life to Jesus Christ? Because he's the king and we recognize and believe the value that he offers. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.